Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The NFL Combine, we've wrapped it up. It's about a week in the books. Taking a look at some of these players coming out of the Combine, some more guys that maybe you want to give a little bit more of a look to based on their Combine performances, and then leading up to the draft, of course, in April. And here to talk about some of the players the Seahawks may be interested in is EJ Snyder, Senior Draft Analyst at Windy City Gridiron, part of the Bears community on SB Nation. EJ, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon. I love talking about combine draft uh, players coming into the league. So this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, last time we had you on, we were talking Senior Bowl. You were down there. And uh, I'm curious of of your just general takeaways from the combine in terms of some of the position group strengths, maybe some things that happened during the combine that you weren't expecting and just your overall uh, sense of what you got out of the the four day span of seeing the drills on TV. Yeah, it's a crazy event end to end. Overall impressions, I, I think everybody knows by now, but the wide receiver class is, I don't think calling it historic is is overstating it. There's so many good wide receivers in this class. Um, Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL.com draft analyst, said he's got 27 guys with top three round grades. Mm. So that means 27 receivers in the first three rounds is how he's graded it out. That's that's not likely to happen just because of the overabundance of them. But to put that in perspective, I think 35 is the total number of receivers drafted uh, in the modern era in one draft. That's the highest number. That's all seven rounds. So if he's got 27 <laughs> guys that fall in the first three rounds, this class is ridiculously deep. There's just no other way to put it. Wow. Um, the offensive tackle class on top is as good as we've seen in, oh, uh, probably eight years. Uh, there are five or six guys that could legitimately go in the first round. Uh, the league always needs good blindside protectors, and there are a bunch of them. They showed out. They had tremendous athletic showing, so that was a lot of fun to watch. Broke a couple of records. And then I think running back probably isn't getting enough love because wide receiver is getting so much love. It's it's a bit overshadowed and it's not quite as top heavy. There aren't those guys that are going to dominate the first round headlines, which let's be honest, that's where a lot of fans sort of concentrate their attention on the draft is who's the first rounders. But starting in the second round and going on through about the fourth, I think you're going to see a lot of good running backs come off that are multi-down contributors who are going to start right away and contribute heavily to their teams. There's probably five or six guys that are going to come off the board in rounds two and three that probably slot right in with teams and, and look like they've been there for a while. Running backs, notoriously one of those positions where you can come into the league and, and rip off a pretty good rookie year. So lots of, lots of RB performances that were, were pretty cool to combine. So that was sort of the the highlights and then just generally one thing that struck me was linebackers are crazy fast now. There's no such thing as those high four, seven, four, eight guys anymore. You just you can't in the modern NFL. You're gonna get exposed in pass coverage. And it seemed like every other guy that ran down the forty track was in the four fives or the four sixes. And then of course we had Isaiah Simmons ripping off his four three nine at six four and two hundred and thirty nine pounds, which is just otherworldly. But linebackers in general are just fast now, and that's that's a difference. That's a change because of the way the game's played. So yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. So many guys showed out, had some great performances, had some bad ones too. But generally, I thought guys did really well, and it was a it was a good four days. 
Well, let's start with Isaiah Simmons, just because there's a guy that, gosh, watching the watching the national championship was a guy that just jumped off the screen to me and a guy that you you see him playing linebacker. You see him lining up to rush the passer. You see him out in coverage. I think I even saw him on the outside covering, you know, a guy who can play on the back end at safety. Where do you project a guy like that? Not not talking about him as a potential member of the Seahawks, because I think we're talking about a guy that's going to be gone probably by number seven at the very latest. Uh, but where do you see his ultimate position being in the NFL? It's funny you bring that up because <laughs> there's going to be a, a video dropping tomorrow on YouTube on uh, Brett Coleman's The Film Room channel where he and I are talking about that exact topic. What do you do with Isaiah Simmons? And Isaiah Simmons is a freakish athlete. I think we've already established that. He played on a, a national championship defense. He is one of the few guys I can remember in college football history that's logged well over 100 snaps at five different positions. He played free safety, strong safety, uh, slot corner, outside corner, as you mentioned, and then uh, linebacker. And they even slide him up to the edge occasionally. So depending on how you want to want to call him a linebacker, five different spots over 100 snaps in the defense. That's that's insane. Unprecedented <laughs> versatility. It's and he can do it all really well. If you watch him on tape, like you said, he really does pop. Um, where I came down on that debate, a lot of people are talking about safety because of his length and his range at that speed. For me, I want to slide him up a level. I want to put him in that sort of rover spot in the middle where you can put him in a, an off-ball linebacker spot or even slide him up on the edge and blitz or, or have him play slot corner. It's almost like a wide, flat triangle from the middle linebacker spot, um, pretty much out past the hashes a little bit. That's where I want him to be because I just don't think taking a guy with that much talent that much instinct and really that much closing ability farther away from the ball is a good idea. I want to put him close to the ball and let him make as many plays as possible. And he's certainly capable of doing it from any one of those sort of three spots. If you want to talk about left slot, right slot and, and anywhere in the middle, whatever you want to call that nickel linebacker, you name it. Uh, and he can blitz as well. Um, he's not a tremendous quote unquote pass rusher, but he can blitz absolutely at that size and really cause a lot of problems. So I want to put him right in the mix and have him stir up as much havoc as possible. Do you think any of that indecision about where his best spot is helps him slide out of the top 10? It'd give us hope maybe that the Seahawks uh, <laughs> could trade up for a guy like that? <laughs> yeah, you could try. You're going to end up paying for it. I think at some point the indecision about his position is just overridden by the fact like let's get him in here and figure it out. Now, I sure. hope for his sake that's not what happens. I hope wherever Isaiah Simmons ends up, they have a very solid plan for him because a lot of times guys with a ton of athletic potential and a sort of ill-defined role – struggle early because their teams put a lot on him and safety is a notoriously hard spot to pick up as is nickel corner. You've got two way breaks and multiple coverages at just about every snap. So that's the other benefit of moving him forward and making him play those spots less. I'm not going to say not ever, but making him play those spots less or only on certain downs or in certain packages, it's going to reduce the amount he has to learn. And there's a bump for every rookie. So I would hope a team is going to manage that and keep it as digestible as possible. And if they try and play him all over the ball, or especially if they just try and line him up at a very difficult position like free safety, where he's kind of got to be the quarterback of the defense right away, 
uh, I don't think that maximizes his value. He's a guy you really want to sort of point him and shoot him and say, you know, on this play, do this. And we're going to use you all the time, but we're going to limit your responsibilities uh, initially, at least, so you can maximize your athleticism. Well, when you're talking about your takeaways from the combine, you mentioned a lot of areas of need, particularly for the Seahawks, talking about offensive line. Uh, Jermaine Effetti, uh, widely expected to be leaving the Seahawks right tackle. Wide receiver, the Seahawks could use a solid number three guy, but behind Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, that's uh, you know not counting their tight end options. And they could use some speed at linebacker as well. So uh, if Isaiah Simmons isn't there, which I, I wouldn't expect he would be, but let's start with offensive line. And I'm I'm particularly interested in the tackle spots because of Jermaine Effetti leaving, because of the age of Dwayne Brown. And if this is a spot where the Seahawks could potentially go in the first round, you talked about, you know, a lot of these players having first round talent. But ultimately, when the Seahawks are drafting in the in the end of the first round year after year, it seems like once you get to that 27 spot and John Schneider's looking to trade down because a lot of those guys that you would hope for are already off the board. Is that going to be the case with this offensive tackle class? It's really possible. It's a bit top heavy. There's four or five guys that are going to go probably in the first half, in the first 15 picks. And then uh, what always happens invariably when there's a run like that at a position is, is a team saying, well, we need a tackle. We can't come away without a tackle. They sort of put their teeth through the floorboards and pick one. And that might be against, you know, best player available. Certainly they might reach a little bit and grab a guy that Normally would have gone in the second or third, but they're like, look, if we wait to the second or third, he's not going to be there. And that's true. So that happens pretty often. This year, I think you can go legitimately five deep. Uh, again, those first four are going to go off. If you look at, at the teams that are up there and what their needs are, you're going to see four tackles go pretty easily in that first 15 spots, maybe five, but I would say four for sure. And that's going to leave that fifth and possibly sixth tackle to come off in the lower half of the round. So if you're the Seahawks and you're going to stay and you're not going to trade back, which they love to do, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to be looking at that fifth or sixth tackle. That's probably a guy like Josh Jones out of Houston, who I think has a good amount of potential and is a, a very solid, what I would say, second round tackle. First might be a little bit of a reach for him over some other players, but he's not a bad tackle. He's physically tremendous. Uh, his feet are pretty good. Needs a little bit of work on his hands. Could eventually, I think, play left. Would have, would probably start out on the right. Um, but he's a he's a physical specimen. Um, saw him down at the Senior Bowl. He's six five, three nineteen, and and just cut. He's just in such great shape. Hopefully, um, he was on the North Squad. I, I don't want any of the guys from the South Squad. Yeah, the South Squad definitely got overwhelmed a little <laughs> bit in the trenches. Um, but Jones is a guy with with a great athletic profile, and and I think the arrow's pointing up. I don't think he's maxed um, either physically or a technique standpoint. Gets with a decent offensive line coach. Uh, he's a guy that could develop. So that's a that'd be a sort of worthwhile pick at the end of the first round. If they do trade back, and you're looking to go into the second round, it really is that second tier of tackles um, that you sort of have to look at and sort through. Isaiah Wilson is the other Georgia tackle. <laughs> he's the younger one, um, but he's going to go earlier, I think, than most people think, basically on potential. A lot of draft is about potential. It's not about what guys are now. It's about what they can be. And Isaiah Wilson is dripping with potential. He did pretty well. Let's let's be honest. He's a right tackle at an SEC team. You know, DeAndre Swift's team, they did real well. 
but he has tons of potential and size. Uh, Wilson is ridiculously large, 6'6", 350, 84-inch wingspan, and he's 20. So he's not even done growing yet. Here's a guy that has not yet scratched the surface for what he can do, and he's already pretty good. He moves people off the ball really well. Again, more of a right tackle type, but can be a, a decent protector in the pass game as well with that huge wingspan because even if his feet aren't great, that reach makes up for it, and he's got a lot of size. So once he gets guys into his frame, they're not going anywhere. You're not moving a 350-pound guy all that easily. So. Definitely has some rough edges to polish off his game, but just on potential, I think he's going to be pushing into that either end of the first round conversation or, or pretty early second. And um, I could see a guy like that, especially considering the Seahawks, because in the past they've looked for highly athletic guys. Now it seems like they're going for bigger guys, you know, with DJ Fluker <laughs> and Mike Upati. Yep. But yep. for but for a guy like Isaiah Wilson, who is three hundred and fifty pounds, is six six. I mean, a nine foot broad jump, almost a 30 inch vertical that that's moving. That's moving pretty good for a guy that size. Yeah. Isaiah Wilson is a guy to keep an eye on because he's not going to be the best tackle coming out of the gate, but he might be the best tackle in three or four years when he finishes growing and, and learns what he can do with that power and starts to weld his top half to his bottom half in, in both pass protection and run blocking he just has a ton of potential. If he reaches even two thirds of it, he's going to be a top third tackle in the league. And that's, that's what you want when you're picking a tackle up high. Some other guys, Hakeem Adenji from uh, Kansas, sort of a guard tackle. People haven't really decided where he's going to go. Um, wasn't super impressed down at the senior bowl. Looked kind of like another guy to me, got beat up a little bit, had some wins. Didn't nothing really jumped off the page. And then the guy we probably need to talk about who's somewhat local here to the Pacific Northwest is Ezra Cleveland, the tackle from Boise state. Now to be fair, I haven't watched Ezra Cleveland, but <laughs> after his combine, he is the top of my post combine tackle watch list. Uh, he had a tremendous combine. He pretty much tore the top off that thing athletically. And the little snippets I've seen now, these are highlights, not full game tape. That's a caveat. Got to be careful with that. But the snippets I've seen of Cleveland since the combine look tantalizingly good. He looks like his sets are good. His feet are very fluid. He's certainly got some length and some size to him. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is a guy I'm going to be spending some time with. Yeah, especially when you look at a drill like the short shuttle, which the Seahawks notoriously look at for their offensive linemen. Four four six, and they're usually looking for guys around four seven five. So that is well below uh, the threshold that they normally look at, and uh, and again, impressive for that type of size in the offensive line. Yeah, he had a great great combine. If you go farther than that, there's two or three other guys that are definitely worth looking at. Matt Pert out of UConn um, had himself a pretty good combine. I've watched him. I think he's a good solid mid round tackle. Um, Robert Hunt is a name that a lot of your listeners probably won't know. Louisiana Lafayette, six, five, um, good, uh, wingspan at 82 moves really well. There's again, some question as to not whether he slides into guard. I think he can probably play tackle, definitely right tackle from what he showed on tape. And then a guy out of the pac 12, Austin Jackson, who's another young guy. Mm -hmm. Coming off an injury, hasn't really returned to full form, had a leg injury, usually takes about a year to come back to full power. He's incredibly athletic. He's just starting to sort of round out of that recovery. So by the time, you know, camp starts and we get into preseason games, he should be almost a full year removed from that to the point where 
He's getting all his power back. Again, he's 20. He's ridiculously athletic. We haven't seen the best out of Austin Jackson yet, so somebody's probably going to get a value off him as well. Well, yeah, if you're talking about him just starting to get his power back, he drilled. Uh, he, he ran through most of the drills. I don't think he did the short shuttle, but he he did the vertical. He did the broad, hit the bench, so uh, and tested out well. So, gosh, if there's more to come for him, that's that's a good sign. Yeah, I think Arrow's pointing up for Austin Jackson. A lot of people sort of, again, you get injured, you're you're out of the spotlight. Not as many people. There's a recency bias to to the draft, that's for sure. And and Austin Jackson is is sort of solidly in that second tier. But again, when he gets healthy and comes back to full strength, uh, he could jump up to the bottom of that first tier. Well, EJ, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk wide receivers, talk running backs, finish off with the offense, and maybe then hit on a couple of the guys on the defensive side of the ball. We'll do that coming up after the break. Joined by EJ Snyder, senior draft analyst at Windy City Gridiron, talking NFL Combine with the draft coming up in April and a lot of different positions to look at. We may not get to them all, but I do want to talk about receivers. You talked about this being really a historic class for receivers with 30 guys that have that potential to go in the first three rounds. The Seahawks have three picks uh, in the first two rounds as of right now, uh, the back end of the first, and then they have the the last two picks of the second round. So with those spots, with their need for a wide receiver, maybe not a big need, but it does feel like an opportunity for them to come out and get a wide receiver. Who do you like in terms of Seahawks? I know that they like speed. They they will always look at guys that are under that 4-5 threshold. It's kind of a bummer when I see a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who's very talented, run a 4-5 and wonder, gosh, is that going to be out of their range? But I guess he has his pro day opportunity that, that he could come and, and break that. And with the, the timing being off with the uh, how they, they ran the combine this year, maybe that played into it as well. So I am curious of which are guys that the Seahawks might tend to look for coming up in the draft. Yeah, well, I wouldn't. First off, I wouldn't worry about Ayok too much. He's he's not that slow. Um, on tape, he's faster than that. So again, you can worry about drills, but on tape, he runs away from guys who are faster than that. So Ayok's got good speed. I hope, like you do, that he gets to show out at his pro day. He could definitely be in that range of consideration, and if he does, he should be. He's a he's a very good wide receiver. Offers a lot on special teams as well, but. Jalen Rager's a guy at TCU, again, didn't have the combine everybody expected. A lot of people were talking about him as a, a speed merchant uh, in terms of possibly getting down into that high 4-2 range, um, low 4-3s. He certainly looks that way on tape. But the cool thing about Rager is he's not just a speed guy. He's 5'10", 206, you know, looks rocked up on tape, can climb the ladder, win a jump ball, which a lot of guys that size don't typically do. Um, reminds me a little bit of Steve Smith coming out of Utah, that kind of body type, real solid, a little bit shorter, very fast. Uh, and Rager's got great routes, really sharp, nuanced routes, which, uh, again, if you're looking at what the Seahawks have done for smaller receivers, not, not larger receivers necessarily, they like folks with sharp routes and Rager could do that. Now him not running as well as he might've, um, he ran fine. But he's definitely faster on tape than he ran at the combine by a good bit. I would say he's easily a low four three guy on tape. He's very fast, so that would be a, a really neat component to bring into the Seahawks offense. Um, being able to slide that slot guy inside again, he's tough. He can he can get off press. 
certainly do that with routes as well. And then when he adds in that element of speed, he can really open up gaps on cornerbacks. One of the more explosive guys of the combine, too, with the 11.6 broad and 42 inch vertical. That was uh, among the tops of all the, the receiver class. I think his jumps were more representative of who he is as a player than his 40 by far. Yeah. Yeah. Four, four, seven, a, 40, which it does break the four, five threshold. But like you say, he yeah. looks like much faster than that uh, on tape. Yeah. Everybody was, it's, it's funny when you run a four, four, anything and people are disappointed, but <laughs> it's, it's because he probably legitimately could have run a low four, three and, and may it is pro day still, but on, you know, if you trust the tape and I do, he's fast, he's really fast. He's one of the fastest guys in this receiving class. And another guy that ran great and has just done everything great since the college season ended is Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Mm -hmm. He's a tall guy. He absolutely destroyed the senior bowl, um, ran a four, four. I think he's probably the fourth best wide receiver in this draft. And again, in a loaded draft like this, that's really saying something. He's definitely going to go high. He showed he could run a full route tree at the Senior Bowl, which was a big question mark. He definitely didn't do that at Baylor. He showed he could get off press. He's got good size, great speed, excellent hands. He's definitely going at the end of, uh, he could sneak into the end of round one. Almost surely high round two, Denzel Mims will be off the board because there's just nothing he can't do. And he's a tremendous blocker and has been throughout his entire career. He really puts a lot of effort into blocking and coaches love that. It just brings an extra dimension to those outside runs. So Mims is a really complete player, better size than Rager. Um, I would say his speed's not quite as good uh, on tape, but again, a four, four guy that's legitimate. Once he gets off press, he can really burn you. So Mims is one of my favorites in this draft. Who's got the best hands out of this class? Oh, that's a really good question. There's a bunch of guys with very solid hands. Um, I like a guy out of Penn State, KJ Hamler, who's another little speed guy uh, and is a bit smaller than Rager. Uh, he's a little bit shorter and he's about 20 pounds lighter. So he is he is the smaller speedster type, but he tracks the ball extremely well. And he doesn't have big hands either. I think he's got like nine and a quarter inch hands, but man, he catches almost everything. I watched four tapes of him. I don't think I saw one drop. And I saw some really um, good grabs. He plays special teams as well. And Penn State played Idaho, of all things, this year. And Idaho was terrified of him on special teams. And so they were squibbing every kick. <laughs> they were just kicking it and having it go end over end and try and, you know, get a bad hop. Well, one of them they did. It hopped right in front of him, hopped over him. He seamlessly turned around. This ball is going end over end, grabbed it going backwards, pivoted back and accelerated to full speed in about half a second. Didn't even look like he struggled. That's an, a tremendously difficult ball to track and catch. And he made it look easy. Hamler's got great hands, but there's a bunch of guys that have really good hands in this draft. Michael Pittman from USC is got a really solid pair of hands. Um, some of the bigger guys that aren't as fast, um, Juwan Jennings has pretty good hands. Um, there's just so many guys. The, the Alabama guys both have good hands. Judy's got good hands. Ruggs, pretty good hands as well. Um, CD lamb has a great set of hands out yeah. of Oklahoma. So there's a well, lot guys of guys that aren't going to be there when it's time for the Seahawks to pick. <laughs> no, no, no. But if you're talking about best hands, sure. if you saw the catch that <laughs> CD lamb made in the corner of the end zone on the fade drill at the combine, which is a new drill for the combine, that is just ridiculous. Yeah, so those guys are a ton of fun to watch. 
Yeah, that was kind of the uh, well. It came right at the end of the the drills too, so it was it wasn't what everybody was talking about after the wide receivers ran. So, um, yep. yeah, a, a nice uh, moment for him and a guy who's probably going to go in the top twenty for sure. And let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about running back being a, a, kind of the sweet spot in rounds two through four. I think the Seahawks could definitely use a running back. Uh, watching an interview on Pro Football Talk, it sounded like Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, a Wisconsin guy, Russell Wilson being from Wisconsin, it sounds like he wants to be a Seahawk, but it's probably going to have to be on day one after his performance at the Combine. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor, a guy with tremendous performance. Nobody was really overlooking him in terms of straight running. Um, almost 2,000 yards out of Wisconsin, uh, a track star in high school, but didn't he was fast on the field, but 439 is something else. 439 is really fast. Now, again, Taylor has a track background. He understands how to get off the blocks. Doesn't always show that speed on film, but he's not slow. He, I would have said low, low to mid four fours pretty easily. If he'd ran a, if he'd run a four four, I would have been like, yep, that's that's who he is. But 439 is cooking. And the bigger question about Taylor is hands, because if you're going to play running back in the modern NFL, you got to catch the ball. And I don't just mean swings and screens. You got to go out on the occasional angle route and, and threaten a linebacker with that kind of speed. And it, look, the Wisconsin offense doesn't throw to the running back a lot. So he had, I think, 12 catches this year, which is a is a red flag for evaluators. Hey, can this guy actually catch the ball? Well, better than the 439, he comes out to the combine and looks really, really natural catching the ball. Looks like he's been doing it his whole life. Um, it's just something his offense didn't do. So that adds that extra element to his game, checks another box. And I think Taylor really pushed his way back into the conversation of he's pretty much been fourth or fifth if you've been looking at running back lists. And I think he's done everything he can to push himself back up into that maybe top three conversation. Well, there's a couple other guys if they are going to look for him in rounds two through four. I'll, I'll throw a few names at you because running back is definitely a spot where the Seahawks have a type in terms of height, weight. <laughs> yes, they do. And, yes. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know if, if you've been scouting that in particular, but guys like Cam Akers out of Florida State, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA fits into that mold. A.J. Dillon, he's on the bigger side, but he has the explosive <laughs> traits, which, uh, yep. you know, is is very interesting. Would they would the Seahawks look for a back who is that big? But for a guy that athletic, that's really impressive. Yeah, Dillon's a ton of fun. I'll throw another name at you and see what you think. Zach Moss out of Utah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Zach Moss is right in the Seahawks roundhouse. The first time I watched Zach Moss tape, I was about halfway through and I thought, Seahawks. Well, I like, like him a lot better than I like watching Cam Akers tape, but I had a hard time just really even because the offensive line for Florida State was so bad. I felt like I never really got an idea of what Akers could do unless he was breaking out and not getting touched. But I like to watch how dudes handle contact. And so yeah. I just never felt like I was really able to evaluate a guy like Akers. Well, you, what, you didn't like him with three defensive linemen draped all <laughs> no, over him? No, it's, and, you know, it was either yeah. that or he was busting out and he was running for 20 yards. And I, you know, there's no in between. Yeah, Akers is tremendous. His offensive line at Florida State, like you said, was terrible. I think he's the second best running back in this draft. I think he's underrated. His feet are tremendous. If you watch that new drill that they named after Deuce Staley, where they had the um, oh, yeah. the bags on the ground in a T shape and you jump over sideways and then backwards over and then do it in reverse, mm -hmm. uh, then run towards a coach and he indicates left or right as if you were breaking through a hole and you have to make a cut, a simulated cut. Acres moves 
really, really well. He has great feet. And somebody said uh, on Twitter over the weekend, can you imagine what Cam Akers would have done behind Georgia's line? Mm. And I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, I think Cam Akers is tremendous. If the Seahawks end up with Cam Akers, they're going to be extremely happy. Zach Moss is a guy they might get later on down. Uh, 5'9", 223. Played for Utah, so you know he's tough. Ran more of that inside zone game. Uh, A banger runs with absolute... You know, just violence reminds me of a Chris Carson type. Yeah. Um, so if they're looking for another one of those to stay on type, um, Zach Moss is a guy. And then you mentioned Dylan. I love Dylan. Just over six foot, 247 pounds, but tons of speed. Isn't particularly light on his feet, but reminds me very strongly of a lot of the running backs I got to see in the 80s. And I know, yes, that's dating myself, but <laughs> the first guy I looked at, uh, the first guy I was reminded of when I looked at AJ Dillon tape was Mike Rozier out of, of Nebraska, which some of your older listeners will will remember. Rozier was a Heisman candidate, just a a big physical runner who, boy, when you get that opening, you get to that outside zone and it opens up, you can just exploit it because Dillon can really turn on the Jets at that size and. Believe me, no defensive back wants to step in front of a guy that's 247 that's running like a train, and Dylan does that all the time. And he did it against good competition, too. He had a pretty good game against Clemson, and it wasn't all patsies on the on the Boston College schedule. So Dylan's a lot of fun, a name farther down that um, I just – I can't wait to see where he goes because he's just – he's unique. You don't see running backs that large very often. Yeah, and uh, a guy from Boston College. I don't know if the Seahawks have – had a guy since Matt Hasselbeck from Boston College. So, yeah, another BC alum potentially. Uh, Kevin Pierre Lewis. Yep, there you go. He didn't last very long, though. Hey, <laughs> hey, easy on my Bears starter at inside <laughs> linebacker next year. Oh, is he starting for you guys now? All right. Uh, he started the last four or five games and played um, even much better than I thought he could. I, I'm, I was a fan. Uh, thought he was great in that special teams and sort of fill in linebacker role. And, um, when Danny Trevathan and, and Roquan got hurt and uh, Nick Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis came in, he played really, really well. I was I was very impressed. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they don't resign him. He was on a one year deal. But. Well, definitely a speedster. I'm glad to hear that he's doing well. Yep. Well, uh, let's move on before you go. I want to talk about the defensive line, one of the biggest needs for the Seahawks. It sounds like they might want to address it in free agency, but with the defensive line, it uh, it wasn't among the the highlights of the class this year. But I, I wanted to talk to you about Jason Strobridge because he was a guy that you mentioned. Uh, you thought you saw him as a Seahawks type prospect. If the Seahawks did take him as a defensive end, he'd be their first sub 33 inch arm guy that they've drafted. Now, do you see him as that uh, that five technique outside or do you see him as a guy that they could use more inside at the three technique spot? Actually, I see him sliding outside a little bit more. So he played more five in college at North Carolina. And on the first day of the senior bowl, this guy kept making plays from edge and I was trying to see his helmet. I was like, who is that? Is that a is that a powder blue helmet? There's no, there's no edge here from North Carolina as I was looking at my roster. Well, he dropped some weight and was trying to showcase a little bit more versatility playing outside. And I think he could really swing uh, between that five tech and edge spot where he was playing off or almost a wide nine kind of alignment. 
And you reminded me of that sub 33 inch arm thing, which the Seahawks do have their tendencies in terms of who they draft. But I, there's always a first, was, though. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so much the the physical profile. Obviously, I hadn't matched that up. It was more the way he plays to me is very Seahawks. He's sort of a grinder on the edge with a little bit of pass rush flash. Um, that sounds like probably three quarters of their defensive line currently. Um, he's going to be a value. He's going to be available probably third ish round. Okay. Um, and that seems again, like, uh, like it lines up very nicely with where the Seahawks like to sort of stash some picks and grab a guy like that. So it was more the way he played than, than how he looks in terms of physicality, but He's a versatile guy, which again, Seahawks really like versatility in that end spot. Somebody that you could slide inside on passing downs and rush off the three tech occasionally. He has that kind of quickness, might be over to overwhelm a guard with quickness, not necessarily with power. So Strobridge is a guy that I think is pretty interesting. And again, in the right fit, I think could be productive. Well, the one thing that they really do need to fill is the Leo spot, the guy, the, the spot that Cliff Averill played so well for so long for the Seahawks coming in 2013. And they've never really found the the player that I think fits their type of mold. Do you think there's anybody like that in this draft that uh, the, the Seahawks could look toward to, to try and help fill that spot? Yeah, you listed off a few. Um in the list you sent me, and Eter Gross Matos is the one that stands out. Penn State guy. He's a stud. Um, I like him a lot, and uh, my new podcast partner, Brett Coleman from the film room, likes him even more. He's incredibly high on Gross Matos. He is one of those guys that you're going to have to get him fairly high up. He's got real potential to develop further. He's got a great frame. Uh, and when he puts everything together, it's pretty breathtaking. He's actually got some bend and dip for a guy his size. I wouldn't say he's really bendy, but he's got a ton of power. And when he locks to go from speed rush to power rush, um, he can move people. He can get a really good swim going. And again, when he sort of gets bend, gets a dip and explodes upward past a tackle, uh, he's got enough reach to get to the quarterback very, very quickly. Plays with a lot of violence in his hands. I think he's scratching the surface. I think he's a younger guy that isn't quite full in his frame yet and would be a difference maker on the edge uh, if you put him there. Some of the other guys you listed, Jonathan Gernard from Florida. I'm not wild about him. I watched him before the Senior Bowl. I don't think it's a fit for the Seahawks. He's not much as a run defender, and the Hawks would just hate that out of that wow. Leo spot. They really need somebody to set that edge. Um, Grenard's strength, if if there is one, is his pass rush. He has a little two-hand sort of hand swap move where he bats the tackle's hands away and then dips. He's pretty productive with it, but it's his uh, it's his number one hit on repeat. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of a lot of variety. And I think, again, out of that Leo spot, the Hawks require or demand uh, some dual role versatility there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he has that. Alex Highsmith was one of the guys you listed later on down. A lot of people probably haven't heard of Alex Highsmith, had a very good combine. Um, I like that fit. He's active. He's a really effective against the run as a slasher. He's one of those guys that gets in quickly, really flattens his angle and goes right down the back of the line and drags people down, does it over and over again. Don't know if he's quite strong enough to be that point of attack guy straight up, um, you know, on a on a sweep run block that they might be looking for right now. But he is one of the later round guys at edge. Again, you mentioned this class isn't tremendous at edge, um, either for, you know, high end star power or depth. 
But one of the guys that might be available later that I, I think has has enough merit uh, to go after is a guy like Alex Heisman. Well, there's four other guys I wanted to get your opinion on. Maybe just pick the the top one that you think that the Seahawks might go for out of this group, because there are four guys that do fit in with the Seahawks tendencies at tight end. Those four being Adam Troutman, Charlie Taumapeo, uh, Dalton Keene and Hunter Bryant, uh, Bryant out of the University of Washington. Those four guys tend to fit the the Seahawks uh, traits that they tend to look for. If uh, I and I know I've listed a range from guys that'll go everywhere from the second round to you know Tamapeo, who's probably an undrafted type prospect. But uh, are, do any of those four guys jump out at you? If you're looking for um, again, it's a question of is is this the guy or is this a guy in a rotation? Is he rounding out a stable? Um, you know, if Dis- Disley comes back to health, if you're looking for one guy eventually to be the guy, it's Troutman. He's got a great all around game. Uh, tremendous agility score at the combine. He had a sort of a poor 40, but I'll take it because I think he's a little bit faster on tape than his 40, but his agility score I thought was really representative of how he shows out on tape. He moves like a wide receiver, but he's 6'5", 255, uh, was recruited to Dayton as a quarterback, um, enjoys blocking. When I talked to him at the Senior Bowl about it, he said, I said, what is it about blocking? Because you definitely show out as a blocker on tape. And he thought about it for a second. He's a very smart guy, engineering student. And he looked at me and he said, moving another man off the spot he wants to stand on on purpose is better than catching a touchdown. (laughs) That sounds like a dude the Seahawks would love. Yeah, he loves blocking, but yeah, again, came in, recruited as a quarterback, understands the game, understands the offensive game plan, moves very well with the ball in his hands. That agility score shows up on tape. Um, not going to be the straight line threat, but if you're if you're looking at all around good size, and I think he has more respect in the league than he does in draft circles, uh, I think he's going to go higher for that reason. If you're looking for just sort of straight line speed, more of a seam stretching tight end, that's Hunter Bryant, the guy from UW. Uh, didn't have a great combine. I don't think it'll drop him much. People know what Bryant is. He runs two or three routes. He's not a tremendous blocker, but he is fast and he's got pretty good size. Got pretty good hands too. knows how to make a contested catch. Um, lots of room to develop. He's got a, a fairly raw game, but physically uh, more speed for sure than Adam Troutman. Not nearly as nuanced all the way around, but again, if you're asking him to do that one thing, that sort of middle from tight slot role to to get out there and run corners, fades, um, long crossers where you can kind of run away from the guy that's covering you, that's that's probably Hunter Bryant. Charlie Tomopea is a really interesting guy. Portland State, um, he's going to be a later round guy for sure. I think he could be a poor man's um, use check, sort of H fullback, big slot. He's not as fast as that, but he's one of the things that's really fun about Charlie is he's great with the ball in his hands. Once he gets the ball in his hands, he's like that 6'2", 300-pound kid that was a center on the basketball team but thinks he's going to take everybody off the dribble. Um, he blocks really hard, loves to run over people. There's a there's a great highlight against, I think, Northern Arizona where he hurdles a couple guys. It's just he, – he just looks like he's having so much fun, and he's very physical – and could be a guy with a lot of versatility, could play on special teams, could play out of the backfield, could play out of the slot. And and really, again, in an offense that's going to use that role creatively, I think Tom Payne has a lot of value. So with Troutman being the guy, where do you kind of project him? I don't think he makes it out of round two. Okay. Um, I know some people think I'm nuts about that, but 
there's no clearly defined uh, tight end one in this class. Um, Cole Kmet from Notre Dame kind of sewed that up at the combine. But again, if you talk to 10 different scouts, you're going to get five different opinions on who the top tight end is. Um, Matt Miller actually posted today on Twitter that he talked to somebody and his tight end number two, who's Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue, is this scout's tight end number 11 which is a staggering difference mm. given um, how many tight ends there are. Um, so again, I think that kind of works in Troutman's favor. It's really dealer's choice. It's really the flavor you're looking for to sort of round out your stable of tight ends. And Troutman's one of the few guys that has a really well-rounded skill set. There are definitely guys that do things better. Um, Albert O out of Missouri is a better red zone threat, had a tremendous 40 at the combine, but I don't think that speed shows up on tape. But in the red zone, I'll take Albert O. He's 6'6". 245, whatever, 255, can really get up and high point the ball. That's sort of a specialty of his. But if you want somebody that's going to work between the 20s and do everything in your offense, uh, I think Troutman's a better pick. Yeah, Albert O, he was one of those guys that I think just jumped off the screen at the combine to everybody and saying, gosh, who's this guy? Yeah, I was sort of uh, one of the guys, the other draft analyst at Windy City Gridiron is actually a student at Missouri right now. uh, his name's Jacob Infante, and if you guys aren't following Jake, you should. He does great work. He also writes for USA Today's Draft Wire. But he's at Missouri, and he saw every home game, so he saw mm. Alberto up close. And he went on Twitter right after that and said, guys, I don't know where that came from. Like, I have no idea what that was. Like, he's not a 4-4 guy. If you'd told me he'd run a 4-6-2, that would have been fine at sure. his size. Like, I would have been like, great. That's Yeah, that's sure. That's great. If he ran a four five two, I would have been like, that's amazing. But he runs a four four nine and it's like, what? Like, where was that? And so that's that's what the combine's sort of good for and bad for is you sort of go back and either check your assumptions and say, Yeah, that's about what I thought the guy was, or mm, did I miss something? Uh with him, I don't think we did because that doesn't translate when he has pads on, but he is a he is a very good athlete. E.J. Snyder, Senior Draft Analyst at Windy City Gridiron. Appreciate you coming on, helping break it down. Where do people go to find you online? What do you have coming up uh, to to look for? Uh, So they can always find me on Twitter. That's probably the easiest place. That's at the Draftsman FB, as in football. And uh, really proud of a new venture that Brett Coleman of the Film Room off YouTube uh, and I have put together called Bootleg Football. Uh, You can find it on YouTube under Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, We are also, as of today, listed on all the major podcast networks, so we're going to be having both audio and video content coming out on that. Tons of stuff around the draft. We did a thing on uh, KJ Hamler versus Jalen Rager. We did a thing on the wide receiver class. We've got a piece coming out tomorrow on the film room about what to do with Isaiah Simmons. So that's the that's the hot iron right now in the fire and you'll be seeing tons of content there. So people can check that out again on all the major podcast outlets or on YouTube. EJ, big thanks for you to coming back on and looking forward to talking to you more in the weeks leading up to the draft. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Brandon. Always a blast. Thanks once again to EJ for coming on talking draft. Now we're going to be shifting toward free agency over the next couple of weeks. March 10th is the deadline for teams to designate franchise or transition players. The Seahawks very unlikely to do that. Jadivian Clowney, obviously part of his deal to come to Seattle, is not going to be franchised. And uh, other than that, they 
know, if they were going to maybe put a transition tag on a player like Jaron Reed or or another one of their players that they want to give a, a potential contract to or at least have the opportunity to match before letting the player go. But traditionally, John Schneider, not a guy to use either of those tags. They used it last year on Frank Clark when they knew that he was going to be leaving. But uh, I don't think that they wanted to do that. So we are going to be talking free agency coming up over the next couple of weeks. March 16th through 18th, that's the day where teams can actually start to negotiate with players who are not their own players. But I think we're going to be looking at signings for the Seahawks ahead of that March 16th date. Hopefully they they get some guys under contract, giving their final offers and hoping that uh, players like Clowney and other guys that they want to keep don't make it to free agency. So we're going to be watching that over the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned to the show. Stay tuned. Fieldgoals.com. Subscribe to the show. SBNation.com slash NFL podcasts. Also, if you find value in this show and you want to help support it, you can go to glow.fm, G-L-O-W.fm forward slash flock. And you can support the show there on a one time or recurring basis. Glow.fm forward slash flock. Lots more to come in the coming weeks. Until then, go Hawks. Hawks.